Uh, I'm sorry the passage was a little long this morning. I don't know why I feel like I should apologize for that, but that was a lot of announcements and a lot of Bible. Um, So I'm here to help us understand what all that was and make sure we don't all fall asleep. Um, No, it's it's so good to be with you. My name's Peter. Um, I'm a pastoral apprentice at the uh, NDG location. and um, I get the privilege of preaching to you sometimes, so it's good to be back with you. Um, today, we are in Paul, and Paul has a lot to say. Um, and he's difficult to read, and he's difficult to also preach, especially when you're a pastoral apprentice. So um, would you mind if I just pray just real shortly, because I need God's help today. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just pray for uh, this sermon this time where we get to gather today, would you make yourself known? Would you make yourself alive? Would you fill this space with your spirit? Um, Would you open up our minds and our hearts to what you have to say today? Amen. Does anyone know who Marcel Polkowski is? This is a kind of a cheap trick, right? Because I didn't know who he was till I looked him up. Marcel Tolkowski? Well, he is apparently the, the father of the round, brilliant diamond cut. And about 75% of diamonds used for engagement wedding rings use the round, brilliant diamond cut. And uh, for those of us who have recently got engaged or, or married, congratulations again. Um, apparently, Guys have to learn a lot about diamonds. So I, I got married last year, and uh, we learn a lot about things we never knew we would, like round, brilliant diamond cuts. So why am I talking about round, brilliant cuts today? Well, we are in Ephesians, um, and we're looking at chapter 2, verse 11, all the way through uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 13. And we've been unpacking this message, and Paul is trying to tell us how God has now revealed this mystery. Mystery just means something that was covered, hidden, now uncovered. That would be Jesus Christ. And another mystery is this church. He's like, this is blowing my mind, and I want you to understand it. It's like God has now revealed his church in Christ. And he uses this word, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's almost embarrassing how much he uses this phrase, in Christ, in Ephesians. And that is because he's starting to understand, and uh, his mind, his heart is grappling with, I am in Christ. The church is in Christ. And he's starting to preach this, well, he has been for a long time now, at this point in his life, But he's like, God has put the church on display. And there's this weird word, manifold. He says, the manifold wisdom of God is on display. And that's in verse uh, 10 to 11 in chapter 13. And that got me thinking about a diamond. We are like this diamond. Um, A round, brilliant diamond cut has 58 cuts on the diamond with specific angles. This guy was a big nerd, Tolkowski. He was an engineer, he's a mathematician, 
And he figured out a way to maximize the light to uh, be captured by a diamond, okay? Have you spent your days doing that? No, I didn't. Thank goodness I didn't either. Um, but what it does is it captures the light. It shows off all the colors. It's like a prism that's, it's, it's brilliant, right? Um, and, and it's like today, if, if you need help as we go through these verses, just think of Paul with one of those like uh, jeweler glasses, you know, the one eye thing, and he's holding it up and he's just going, wow, wow. This diamond is catching the light. It's catching God, and somehow it's refracting it. I can see the manifold, the many-sided, the complex beauty of God. So Paul is telling us this story from chapter 2, verse 11, all the way to 3.13. And he's saying, we were hostile, but restored, and now brought near. So it's time to get intimate. And that's, that might sound a little uncomfortable to you, but I'm going to say that again. We were hostile, but restored, and now brought near. So it's time to get intimate. And in that way, it's kind of like an engagement ring. There's this time where you go date, then you have this engagement period, and then there's this wedding day, and you put that ring on, and it's time to get intimate. And I know you guys don't need to shy away. We see sex and all sorts of things out there. This is not new to you, but true intimacy is something we all want. It's something we all desire, and uh, there are so many ways the world's trying to get us intimate or capture it, extract it, like a strip mine is it's trying to grab this thing, intimacy but we're like the loneliest generation that's ever lived. And so true intimacy is something that we all desire. It's, it's built in us. We want it. We try to get it, but we can't find it. But today, Paul's saying, it's time to get intimate, church. It's time to get intimate with God. So let's start at, um, well, actually, let's, let's back up to we're hostile. This is not something we like to hear. And um, who, raise your hand if you came to uh, the All Church Gathering last week. Nice, nice, nice. Yes, I was there too. Um, one thing that uh, I, I always love about All Church Gathering is you just get to see a lot of people. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of energy. But the sermon was, does anyone remember? Dead! Dead! You are dead! And uh, I was like, oh, wow. Um, okay, that's the sermon. No, um, we talk about being dead. And, and last week, those are verses 1 through 10. You were dead. You were unable. You were the most unable a person can be. You were dead. And yet, now we're in verse 11. And it says, it tells us that we have been restored. We're starting to get restored. And what we need to know about that whole dead sermon was God has brought us back to him. We had this vertical relationship that was ruptured, just utterly, utterly broken between us and God. It was dead. And now we're made alive to have a relationship with God. So we have this vertical reconciliation, vertical restoration with God. 
Now, if I was to uh, point you to the uh, New Testament to where someone asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He, he answers in, in, with two. He says, love God and love others as yourself. But we can't do that until we, we can't love others as ourselves until we love God first. So I wanted to back up just a little bit about this hostility um, that we had towards God because we need to know that coming in to have some kind of basis to talk about community and our horizontal relationships to each other. So God has restored you and me to himself. He's repaired that relationship so you can love God. I can love God, and now I can love my neighbors as myself because I can now know God. And this is brought up in the Bible multiple times. You can even look at 1 John chapter 4, where he says, how can, um, how can I love the invisible God if I don't love my horizontal neighbors? So they, they go hand in hand. If I don't love my brothers and sisters in Christ, then I don't have the love of God in me. And it's not this like chicken or an egg thing. It really is like God loves you. He restores you. You love him. Now you can love each other. But if you're not loving your neighbor, there's something in the pipeline that's leaking and you need to get that fixed and you can turn to God for that. So our state was we were hostile but restored. So let's look at uh, uh, verse 13, uh, sorry, 11. Wow, I'm confused about my numbers. Um, So verse 11 says, therefore, remember that uh, formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. So he starts talking about this horizontal restoration. And you can underline that word, Remember, this is like a buzzword in the Old Testament, and it's still important in the New Testament. Paul tells these people, remember who you were before Christ saved you. And in verses 11 to 13, the churches that Paul is writing to is this mix of people, okay? So there's more than one group going on here, and he's talking to all of them. Uh, And when you, you open up your Bible and it says Ephesians, Colossians. Those are city names. Those are places. So the mix of people might be a little bit different. Like Rome's going to be a little different than Ephesians. But generally, he's talking to a mix of people. And these people were generally Romans, Greeks. They were not circumcised. Not circumcised. Um, circumcision was for the Jewish people. And let me just simplify this. It's like there are just two people, two kinds of people out there uh, from this like biblical mindset. And Paul's saying, Christ is changing this mindset that you have. There's Jews and not Jews. So that, that's like everyone, okay? So the Jews were the circumcised. The not Jews were everyone else, uncircumcised, not in God's family. But Paul is saying something's been revealed the community of God is now brought together. This hostility, this this sort of water and oil type of thing is now gone. So circumcision was this outward sign saying, I'm in. But in the New Testament, it's going, well, 
just because you have an outward sign doesn't mean you're spiritually in. You need a spirit change. God needs to replace your heart and give you a new one. And we believe that today. I mean, if, if you want to come up with some simple language, it's like, growing up in the church, does that save anyone? No. And if you're new to Christ or if you're looking at this church thing and you're like, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm a loser. What a, or these guys are losers. I don't know. You're like, uh, it's, it's sort of like an in or am I in or am I out? Um, being a church kid, growing up in church doesn't save you. Same way circumcision doesn't do that. But entering into the community of God is something that happens when God changes you. I mean, I think there's a lot of fun things we could be doing on the weekend, but we decide to come here. But we found something life-giving here. We've found some purpose here that the world doesn't have to offer. So there is this spiritual life change thing. And, and that's what Paul's, Paul's pointing out here. And so um, to these readers, Paul asks them to remember how far off they were. Verse 12 says, remember that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship into God's family. He has all these words, foreigner, alien, without hope, without God. This is pretty strong language. It's kind of back to like the all church gathering, dead, dead. And you're like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I just wanted to come here on Sunday and see my friends. Uh, but if you've been coming to Church 21 now for two weeks, you're like, why do they like talking about being separate, cut off, alienated, dead? This sounds really negative. But that's only half the news. And uh, on Sunday, we preach the gospel, and today we get the gospel too. But we need to remember, because that gives us some contrast in life. We need something between old and new. If we just have old and continued old, there's no difference in your life. There's no difference in my life. We need to contrast. We need to always remember. And this is a spiritual memory. One of the biggest things that happens in our lives is we get distracted and we forget who we are. Um, sorry, going back to the marriage analogy, it's like if you, you, if you knew someone was married, they even had a wedding ring that said, outwardly I'm married, and actually I am married. Yet the way they carried themselves day to day, they would often forget they were married. The way they talked to women or the way they talked to men, they just seemed to forget they were married. You would question that. You might even pull them aside and say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you talking to that person like that? And a spiritual memory is forgetting you're married to God. It's the same thing. This is, so when we have a spiritual memory and we're forgetful, are you loving God? So this is why we, we meet together. We pray together. We come on Sundays. We read the word. God's saying, don't forget, don't forget. In the Old Testament, one of the biggest storylines is God does something, says, don't forget me. The people forget him. They stray away. God comes back, says, don't forget me. But now we have the Holy Spirit. Now we have each other. And this is something that keeps us alive and growing. Uh, this faith is not a static faith. It's not a one and done kind of thing. It's, it's every day. It's living into this, dwelling. And that's where we want to go. So we were hostile. Sorry. We were hostile, but restored. 
We don't want to be these, these identity amnesiacs anymore. So I go, wow, things have really changed for me. This is so different now. I want to hold on to that. And people around you in your church are going to minister to that. I think often we want to isolate ourselves um, and minister to ourselves. But we can only minister to what we know. But when we come to church, when we come to the word together, preached, and uh, when we sing songs, it's all ministering to our blind spots. I didn't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we all have blind spots and we need each other. And this is the primary way God has decided to set it up. It's his wisdom. It's a lot different than what I would have done, but I'm not as wise as God. So he decided this is the way. And that is pretty cool. And that's something I want us to lean into. That's something I want us to grow into. So we can remember that we were hostile to God. We can remember we were restored. But now, if you look into verse 13, it starts out with this, but now. Okay, so now there's good news. Don't worry, we're done with dead. It's, we're, we're moving on to life. But now, in Christ Jesus, Paul's favorite phrase, every time we talk about Paul, it pretty much comes up. In Christ, you were once far away, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. So we can face the facts and remember because we're not crushed without hope. This means that we have, um, uh, this is the gospel, the but now in Christ, you who were far away have been brought near. That's amazing. This is a good memory verse. If you need something to just chew on this week is verse 213. Our lives and our Christian communities can now be empowered by the blood of Christ. Well, what's a practical way to put that into our lives? I think we can exercise the blood of Christ and apply it to our lives. And it's, it's not just like this magic word thing, but it's confidence in what Christ has done and how the Holy Spirit can minister to places in your life. And specifically, I think this is unforgiveness. I think that is one of the key places we can be set free as individuals, but also as a community. Unforgiveness is something we often hold on to, but it's okay, God wasn't surprised. He gave us church, he gave us the blood of Christ, and he's with us, pushing us forward. That's the grace in our lives that we can now forgive one another and we can forgive the people that are in our lives that have hurt us or offended us. And here's a simple prayer. God, this person offended me. Now that word might sound strong, but we're just kind of making it clear. I feel offended. And maybe that person didn't even know it, didn't even mean it, but I feel offended. And if you're like, no one, no one offends me, I'm okay, I don't get triggered. Um, well, how about this word, annoyed, picked off, avoidant. You see that person and you're like, just look this way. 
um, those are people who have offended you. And maybe you weren't even aware they offended you. But there's this moment you're like, oh, oh, I'm annoyed by that person. I don't want to see that. I don't really want to say good morning to that person. Well, apply the blood of Christ to this. Whatever it is, say, God, this person offended me, and I forgive them by the blood of Christ. And I ask you to also bless this person who offended me. They made me feel annoyed. They made me feel insignificant. I forgive them for this offense. In the name of Jesus, wash me with the blood of Christ. Amen. So that's a practical prayer. The words aren't special, but what happens in your life, in my life, and in Church 21, is that forgiveness starts to change us. It changes us into what we should be, the living, breathing church. Four, he himself is our peace. Peace starts to enter our lives. Peace starts to enter our church. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. So again, take the pressure off yourself to be this dreamy, marshmallowy, teddy bear, world peace person. It's okay. The, the Christianity we believe in is that we are hostile in nature towards God and towards other people. But Christ became our peace and he's bringing us in. He's changing us. So I don't, I, I've always struggled with teddy bear soft people that are like really nice because I'm like, I'm not one of them. I'm not as nice as that person. But Christ didn't save you to be nice. He made you Uh, He saved you so you could be a Christian, one who forgives people in the name of Jesus and changes you into a forgiving person. But some of us are just generally nicer than other people. I don't know. Uh, God bless you. Um, So so anyway, this this world peace, uh, peace is so needed. And people need to see it in our church. I think uh, one of the challenges that I have today for you is... um, Paul is saying a lot of great things. You and I both can recognize that. And we have our church thing. We meet on Sundays, and we're going to be here next Sunday, God willing. We were here last week. But what if this was like the last Sunday we actually got to be together kind of thing? What if this is, we were really holding on to changing? What if the Holy Spirit could change us more? What if he could draw us in? What if we could see God? What if we as a church were transformed to something that when we were held up to society in Montreal, people saw this glint. They saw this rainbow fracture, all this light of God. They saw something about Church 21 and said, that is glorious not because they meet in a basement somewhere on St. Catherine Street, but they see you guys and go, there's peace there. I see peace here that I don't see anywhere else. Everyone is for world peace, but it's not working, is it? Uh, just, you know, just ask like a beauty pageant, Miss America, 
they'll say, what are you for? They'll say, I'm for world peace. And you say, well, how are you going to do that? And he says, more education, more generous people. But <laughs> that's not working. Or even Putin, if you think about it, he's for world peace. He just wants to kill everyone that's opposed to him. And he just wants everyone else to submit to him. And more treaties and more surface-to-air missiles are not going to get us peace. So there's not peace there. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt said this about education. He said, a man who has never gone to school may steal from a freight car, so like a, a, tr a train. But if he has a university education, he may steal the whole railroad. So people, we have a heart problem, not an education problem. We need a heart change that moves us into Christ's community, not increases in these other things. We all long for peace, but we need forgiveness to be a part of this. We can't just be great people. You know, like, oh, you're good, I'm good. You know, peace. We need forgiveness. A friend of mine, um, uh, they're in the tech world, and they just, they're a Christian, and they had a conversation with someone, um, a church, uh, an office mate, who used to go to church, and she walked away from the church. And they were just having a, a comfortable conversation, if you can believe it, and I'm sure you've had these conversations too. Um, this person was talking about uh, how it was like leaving the church. And she said, the one thing that stuck out to me from this conversation is she said, I miss a rubric for forgiveness. I thought that was interesting. And she was being honest. She was like, in the world, there's not really a rubric for forgiveness. And I think what, what um, really illustrates this is what society's produced as the cancel culture. We all know it, like, oh, you're canceled. You triggered me, you're canceled. And that's like fundamentally destroying a human. They're not even a human anymore. They're not a person anymore. I don't even have to look at them. I don't have to talk to them. I can delete them so they do not exist. That is violating the image of God in a fundamental way. We always treat humans as human, no matter if they're Putin or Miss America, okay? They're fundamentally a human. That is the Christian worldview. The world can't support that. They cancel others. It's like indifference versus hate. The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. The opposite of feeling can only be the absence of feeling. So canceling people isn't going to bring around world peace. But Jesus is our rubric for peace. Society is trying to do it without forgiveness but we need it to be just and fair. We need something that can pay it for us because we sure can't. Another popular remedy is, oh, there's this group and there's that group. Let's just get rid of religion. That's what's causing hostility. If we just take away religion, so okay, we disagree with you, many religions, there's now no religion. And that's not going to change it either. That, again, is assuming humans are basically good and don't need Christ. And what seems to happen is they replace religion with some form of human government. And then those leaders decide the moral code 
And then that government basically becomes the new religion because they've decided what morality is. But morality has to be higher and a higher accountability to someone bigger than a human. Okay, that's, the, uh, that, that's just a basic argument there. Um, we need something. Humans cannot be the source of their own morality. And they can't be the ultimate source of their own peace. Humans cannot be the ultimate source of their own peace. And this kind of society has problems fast. Um, just study world history. This isn't the first time. This isn't the last time. It's happened many times. Just look it up. Take a big textbook. <laughs> um, so communities that receive the lifeblood of Christ, that's a good definition of a church. Communities that receive the lifeblood of Christ now have forgiveness and now can bring peace. It's not a magical phrase, but it is putting in confidence the sacrifice of Christ and bringing it into our world. But as far as world peace goes, that, that, that world peace notion, um, there, is always, there are always going to be enemies. Um, there, there, there's always going to be enemies to peace until the end of this age. That's something we can expect. Church is not some just world peace program in that way. We long for Jesus to return, and we make peace wherever we are. We carry it with us, for he himself is our peace. But this isn't like, um, uh, we're going to do it, guys. We're going to get the community gardens going and save the world. No, it's like we want to put on display Christ. We want to put on display his, his blood, his sacrifice, this manifold wisdom. But we're not going to do it till he comes back. And he's going to do it all. And don't believe anyone that tells you anything different. When people say, peace, peace, there's world peace. That's the time to pray. That's the time to run away. So, moving on. We were, we were hostile, but restored. But now, and now we're brought near. Let's look at verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So God bodily took on our hostility and bodily is making two groups one and bringing us together. So now through Christ, we have access to the Father by one spirit. This is how we pray as a church, taken into Christ and through the spirit, we pray to the Father and he hears us. He sees us. We have this uh, we, we take time individually and as a community to pray. And this is another challenge uh, for, for all of us, really, but um, for, for my burden is to make these things alive to you once again. Um, what is access to the Father? Verse 18 is, is what, we, what we're looking at. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This access to the Father always reminds me of Abraham Lincoln um, in, in the White House. He, has, uh, he had 
two boys, he had many kids, but uh, he had these two boys that were well-known within the White House. Uh, they were about eight and 11, and they were famous for just being kids in the White House. Could you imagine, like, growing up that way? One time they ran a goat through the hallways. They're like, yeah. Um, that's, <laughs> that's, like, preposterous, right? Preposterous. How could you do that? Well, uh, one time, or, or they were also known, they had this reputation for bursting into the Oval Office um, and interrupt meetings with, quote, grave statesmen and pompous generals. But Abraham Lincoln said that their company during that time as a president was of more value to him and to his work than anybody knew. It was precious to him to have his family there. You and I are kids of the Father. We live in his house. Our Father is not too busy for you and me, and our time is so precious to him. Now, do you believe that? He might be running the universe, but he loves when his kids are like running under the table. I, I used to love to do that. I'm now 6'3", but I can't you know, crawl on, it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. But he loves when we run, run around at his feet. He loves when we interrupt him. We were once foreigners, strangers, aliens to God. We didn't even have a passport. But now we have access to the Oval Office. And we enter the throne room of God through Jesus by the Spirit. And it means we are all part of the same household now. No matter your background, in Christ, we are family and can access the Father. So there are so many images in this passage that are trying to say basically the same thing with different nuances. But um, Paul is saying, we are God's household we are God's family. We are a new humanity, which that, that word humanity is like Adam. So we're like just a totally new human, totally new humanity in Christ. We are Christ's body. We're that connected to him. Like he is the head and we're this body. We're these many parts. We're citizens of God's country. We're, we're national citizens now. So this is the church. And uh, the last time I came, I, I'll just touch on this real quick. Uh, but, you know, what is church? Church is the people of God um, that are gathered. And one day, we're just apart. Um, and this is like a, a visual, physical view of part of the church. But church service on Sundays is not church church, uh, like the big capital C church. We're just a small part. And one thing we do is we meet on Sundays. And church is not the sermon either. That's when we turn uh, into podcast culture and we're like, I'm going to skip church. I'm just going to listen to a podcast. Well, that podcast can definitely bless you, but it doesn't substitute what church is. There's something that happens on Sundays where God's calling us together. And this is part of the function of being church. So if I was to summarize what we've done so far, we've, we've looked at how we were once far away. We're hostile to God, but restored. And, and now we are brought near. 
and again and again, God is say, uh, Paul is saying that we have union with Christ. That's the subject of today's um, uh, sermon. And all these pictures, with each one of these pictures, it means that we are related to God. We're related to Christ being his church. And Paul reminds us that we are near to him. Um, we have this privileged access to the Father. And verses 21 uh, and 22, we are the temple in which he dwells. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself to the Hebrew people and gave him this personal name. He said, this is how you relate to me personally. And uh, he wanted to be so close to them, he said, I'm going to give you this tent and tabernacle. That's where I will dwell more manifestly. And the Old Testament, they just knew it was a proximity. God was everywhere. They knew that. They're like, God is all-powerful, everywhere, all-knowing. But in this place, he's more manifest. I can, I can see him more clearly here. I can feel him more clearly here. So it's a proximity thing. As I get closer to the temple, it's like, oh, wow. God is with us. God is here. And Paul's trying to get us there. He's like, you together are like living bricks, making the temple. And we have a bad rap for temples these days. We're like, you know, the church is not a building, it's a people. Don't look at church buildings anymore. And that's true. There's this thing where we kind of messed up what a church is. We forgot like it's not a building, it's a people. But there's something really beautiful that they understand about temples that we don't. It was the most important building. It was the most beautiful building. So maybe you can think of uh, the best vacation you went on where you did like some sightseeing. And there was this amazing building with beautiful architecture, craftsmanship. God's saying that about you and me together. We're this amazing, beautiful, well-crafted building. Uh, I think we can get down on ourselves a lot. We can uh, not receive that, but God's telling us that. So I think it would be obedient to receive that kind of feedback from God. He's saying, you are my temple, the most beautiful building in the center of town. And that was a mystery. We didn't know about that. That was uncovered in the New Testament saying, God has come to gather all peoples, this group of people, that group of people, this group of people, and bring them in and make them one in Christ. And they can now use his personal name, Jesus. When Paul was uh, struck blind on the road to Damascus, and he came to know Christ as Lord, Christ as Yahweh, here's like an, uh, a little tip for you when you read um, the Old Testament, and it says, the Lord, that's different than when it translates it, God. Those are two different words in the Old Testament. The Lord means Yahweh. That's like his personal name. And Paul gets it. He's like, God has personally come to us, and now we can see him and know him. He's restored our, or he's taken our hostility and replaced it with himself. He's given us peace. He's restored our vertical relationship, our horizontal relationship, and he wants us to become his forever family. 
I have a confession to make. I, I have one scrolling habit, you know, where you just kind of flick your phone mindlessly. I go onto Kijiji, and I just like flick through, and I'm like, oh, they're selling that? Like, what, what, what even is that? But one thing I look at is um, black Labrador dogs. I really want to get a dog one day, but I do not have the time for a dog. I live in an apartment. Um, I don't have a yard. I don't have the money to p pay for dog food. But I imagine there's going to be a day where I can have a black Labrador dog. And people on Kijiji post puppies. So I, I, that's what I do um, when I need like my mental smoke break. It's, I, I look at Kijiji. But this is going somewhere, forever family. They say that um, on these posts, what I find funny is like they're, they're selling a dog, but they're also saying it's up for adoption. And I think some people mean well, but they, they always say this phrase. They say, black Labrador dog, up for adoption, looking for a forever family or a forever home. I love that line, forever home. So they're like, you can't sell this dog. You can't um, put it up for adoption if you receive this puppy. And that's what God is doing. That's what Paul's saying this whole story. He's like, Ephesians. Jesus came and he brought all the riches of heaven and he came onto Kijiji and he looked through it and he saw Peter up for adoption, looking for a forever home. And he said, I'm going to buy him. I'm going to take all the riches and buy him back and take him to a forever home. And he's doing that with like each of you. He's like, oh, there, she, there she is. There he is. Bye, 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 bye. And he's buying us all back and he's bringing us into a forever home a forever family. You're not going to go up for adoption. You're not going to be rejected or forgotten. No matter how bad it gets or seems, this is the paradox of the gospel, right? If you start to learn about Paul's life, you're like, he, his, his mouth kind of runs. He's like talking about like power and riches. And he's this like scrawny Jewish man that's like in prison all the time. And he's like, oh, I didn't eat much this month. And he, but he's, he's like, he's so confident in what Christ is doing. And he's like telling all these churches, he's like, I'm going to write another letter to that church and encourage them while I'm like wasting away in prison. This is the paradox. I know I have a forever home. I have a forever family. And Every time we gather, I get a little glimpse of that. But no matter what, I know where I'm going. I have a forever home. This is the gospel message. It's good news. It's the kind of thing that tells you that uh, this is like the kind of news that you hear that something's going on in the world, but it actually personally affects you. So um, it's not just like this FYI kind of thing. FYI, God loves you. No, it's like you won that big scholarship that you applied for. That like fundamentally changes your whole research trajectory. Or um, you found out you won the lottery. You're like, well, that changes things. This is the kind of news we're talking about. It's fundamentally changing what you're doing. And the people, in, uh, the people of the uh, Ephesians church that Paul is speaking to have already responded to this gospel message. Have you? Have you responded to the gospel? You're welcome to do that today. You can say, God, I want to put confidence in this. I believe you. I believe what you're saying.
this church was mostly Gentiles, so not Jewish people, and they didn't have anything to do with the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew people, who uh, became uh, Christians, had to see that um, they had to see that Jesus fulfilled all of their Old Testament prophecies. They had to really be convinced that Jesus really was the Lord. And the Jewish and the, the Gentiles were like. I have nothing to do with these Jewish people, but I, I believe, I believe in this Jesus guy. And they're coming together. These two groups that have nothing to do with Jesus now have everything to do with Jesus. They responded to the gospel. And they weren't on the like winning side of history uh, for the podcast. I'm like quoting, air quoting. They're not like winners here. They're, they're like, Rome is still a thing. Caesar's still a thing. They're getting beaten down for the next 300 years. Um, So this church isn't just like, oh, I better get on the winning side here. I'm going to join Jesus. No, they're like, I have no choice. I see the gospel, its beauty. I see the truth of what God has done. I got to become a Christian. When um, Jesus was crucified on the cross, a Roman soldier saw it all happen. And there was Jesus lying uh, or, or like being hung on the cross dead. And he said, that was the son of God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now, this is a little bit of a pastoral check-in. I know I'm not your like local pastor here, but if you will allow me to just have a voice in your life, a, a little check-in here. How are you doing recently? There's been a war in Ukraine. There's tighter government restrictions, uh, inflations, changing things. Gas prices aren't going back down. Um, a lot of us wish we had real estate, but we, we couldn't buy it. And now we can't afford it. Um, we had the pandemic, and a lot of things have changed in two, three years. How are you doing? Are you discouraged? Has has it been kind of unsettling for you recently? How's your anxiety doing or depression? Like these are real things that we're going through. And Paul cared about this church too. The circumstances of this letter to the Ephesians is likely that these small churches were worried. They are small. They're weird groups that have never existed before, groups that mesh And now in verse uh, one, in chapter three, it says that, um, Paul says this, he says that he's a prisoner. And that's true. Paul is likely writing from prison uh, because, um, he's writing from prison because he says in verse 13, 313, I ask you therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. So meaning that he's taking risks, he's getting put in prison for this gospel to people like these Gentiles. So we do think that he's writing from Rome in this, and if it is the case that it's Acts 28, he's been in prison for a while, maybe about five years. It could be anywhere in that time period. But this also probably means this is like his last time in prison, if you know what I mean. Like, it's not not going to end pretty here. Um, And these Christians are probably wondering, they're like, Rome's still in power. Paul's 
still in prison and were this little group in Ephesus or a surrounding little town in Ephesus. I, you know, I, I, I did make an, a commitment to Christ. I, I am coming to church, but was this all a mistake? Like, I just don't get it. I see the world and I'm like, is this it? Like, I don't know. Paul is writing this letter to encourage them and to encourage us. Paul, a prisoner. Paul has been a prisoner a couple times, but this might be the last. But what kind of prisoner is Paul? Your Bible study question. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, Paul, I, Paul, a prisoner of who? I kind of heard it. Could you say that a little louder? Yeah, that's right. Paul, I, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of the Gentiles. Paul says he's a prisoner of Christ, not of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ, not Rome. So Paul is free in the will of God right now. God has you and me in our communities right now for a reason. He's got us right where he wants us. He's got Montreal right where he wants it. And when we feel pressed in and shaken by what's going on, let's come together. Reach out to people, man, my goodness. Just reach out to a brother and sister and pray. Let's have a response that Paul would be saying to us. He's been speaking to this church this whole time. He's like, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, for you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's prepared them for you. Walk in them. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, he says, but now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So come near. Verse 18, 218, for through him, we have access to this uh, one. We have access in one spirit to the Father. So access the Father, built on Christ, in whom His whole structure is being built together in a holy temple. In Him, you were also brought together to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. There's something that Paul's trying to do. He's peppering it in. Your God is the God of the universe. Your king is the king of all kings. Why are you troubled? Why are you so angry all the time? Maybe this politics stuff is driving you nuts. You're really getting angry. No, Jesus Christ is your peace. Have the right kind of anger here. Have the right kind of hope. Let's come together and have the spirit Bind us together. Be the dwelling place of God. Not just a one-time thing, not a one and done, but a lifetime of living with God. Paul knows he's completely free and is a servant of the gospel. And he's willing to suffer for it. Um, This is something that God has called him to, so don't just like take a, a, I don't know, a, a belt and whack yourself in the back. I need to suffer, I need to suffer for Christ. No, this is something that um, his circumstances have been brought about for suffering so that others can see the gospel. 
And when someone faithfully suffers, the true gospel shines. And our walk will always be one of suffering the cross with triumph. Uh, We're not just a triumph kind of gospel. We're a cross and a triumph um, theology here. So we we can even look at this in um, Ephesians chapter 1. It's like, wow, triumph. And then Paul's like, by the way, I'm in prison. I'm suffering, but for your glory. And in God's people, just in the same way, the cross uh, became this amazing way God dealt with sin and judgment while being just and fair. So to the church became this incredible display of his wisdom. His intent, verse 13, uh, his intent was, sorry, 10 to 11. His, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms made by the accomplishments of Christ. So the gospel, the cross does something. It's very convincing to people because they see what God has done. They go, wow, God really does care. God is answering. But in this way, we wouldn't imagine. The king of all kings came to serve and then die on a cross. That's the wisdom of God. And through that cross, the Holy Spirit came out and just started spreading. And the church started spreading. And he came and collected us and made us this manifold wisdom of God that he wants to put on display. You know, a diamond is the, mo- the, the, the hardest jewel, the, th- the hardest thing we got. It's on a hardness scale, it's diamond to everything else. And when you go into a jeweler, they're like, I, I ask, what's the difference between a diamond? And they're like, there's diamonds, and then there's everything else. It's just, it's different. And it's just carbon. It's just like when you write with a pencil, the graphite, like that's stuff to make a diamond. And so maybe you're looking around the room and you go, "Uh, yeah, we're the diamond. What's it going to take for us to get there? You know, in some way it's objectively true. We are the diamond and there's just one jewel. It's not just like, not just you individually are the, the, the one jewel. It's like, We're together, the church are this diamond. And it takes intense pressure and heat to make a diamond. But the other thing about diamonds is they don't really matter much to us unless we can see them, right? Because what does it do? It captures the light. So it's like this diamond gets held up into the light and then shines. So it's time to get intimate. We were hostile, we were restored, we were brought near. So it's time to get intimate. What's it going to take for us to be this? And this is, this is your application, but this isn't the time for pastor shame. Pastor shame's just not going to work if I say, you need to go and do this more, like Kermit the Frog, you know, like, ah, you need to do this more. This isn't that's not going to do anything. We need the spirit of God. We need the power of God to come into our lives more and more and more. What's holding us back from that intimacy? Paul's calling us to that. Each line, if you look at the ends of the paragraphs, is, it's, it's always saying this, 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 
so draw near. This, this, this. But the blood of Christ brought you close. Now go to him. Go to him. This is what's going on. Union with Christ. We need to become intimate with him and get this with each other. We're not going to become believable. We're not going to become the church that shines until we're intimate with God and intimate with others. So what's holding you back? How's your intimacy doing? How are you doing with the Lord? It, it affects us all. It affects me. It affects you. When you have unforgiveness and resentment towards people, please forgive them. In the name of Christ, please forgive them. Stop holding unforgiveness. We're the only people that have the rubric for forgiveness. We have the power to forgive. Let's forgive those people, the individual people that come to mind, that tick us off, that annoy us, that I want to avoid. Write those names down and, and forgive them. You'll start to see a difference in your life. And you'll make this community healthier and healthier. And then what about us collectively? How's our intimacy doing? Let's worship God. We're about to sing some more songs. They're not just songs to sing. They're not just catchy tunes. This is about intimacy with God. And maybe he's going to give you some godly sorrow. Maybe you should ask for that because he wants you to repent. And repent's good news. You can face the facts when there's hope. And that's the gospel message. He wants to set you free. He wants to heal you. And as a church, we'll grow in intimacy. And then look aside and look at your brother and sister and through the eyes of Christ, see them, treat them differently. And then all these people on, uh, you know, whatever, Sherbrooke and St. Catharines, they're going to start to see it. They'll see it. People know the truth when they see it. So let's do that together. Let's press in and apply the blood of Christ to our lives in a new way, and let's worship together.